Crunch Time! Crunch Time! You're listening to Crunch Time on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Crunch Time! Crunch Time! That's right. Welcome to Crunch Time. It's Thursday night. It's 6 o'clock. It's dark out there. Ugly. Everybody, please, please, please take it easy on the roads. Oh, my gosh. Driving in here. And for my friends who were on Null at about oh, and maybe 116th okay. in Null, uh, there was a big accident right, right in front of me. Right. Uh, cars hitting into each other, smashing into each other. Everybody's driving around. It's dark. It's a Christmas season. That's it's miserable. the holiday season. Everybody's zipping around trying to get that last minute gift. Relax. Take it easy. Just hang out in your car. Drive slow. Listen to Frank and I. We will have our calm, our cool, our collective selves here with you to make sure that everything's okay. So enjoy the little hour that you have in the car. Don't try to get home too fast. Don't try to get to that last-minute gift place too fast. Just take it easy, and we will guide you home, won't we, Frank? Right. We're just going to we're, we're going to talk like we're going we're to NPR today. We're going to oh, talk yeah, really man. quiet, yes. cool, collective, so that everybody just takes it easy out there. They'll turn off the radio in about four seconds. They hear you talking. They will. They yeah. will. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Hey, Start screaming and yelling. Let's go. Well, you know Wake I them will. Up. Hey, first of all, congratulations to uh, six of the Kansas City Chiefs who made the Pro Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and I think he's the starter, right? Yes. Cool. Yes. But, you know, and Tom Brady's backing him up. How cool is that? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, first of all, we're hoping that none of these guys can play in the Pro Bowl. Well, I don't care about Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't there's, care about him either. There's only, there's only the Chiefs guys, the only guys we praying they don't play. We don't want them to play. No. We do not want them to play. That means that they're not in the We want them to have something else to do. Absolutely. So we got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Who had, it's had an unbelievable year. Yeah, Eric so Fisher, uh, D. Ford, contract year, Pro yeah. Bowl. That's amazing I guess that's, that uh, you know, it's, it's funny how that works it's out. It's amazing how that works. But congratulations. And Anthony Sherman, the sausage. Yeah, I think he's the only fullback in the league. Yeah. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Okay, hey, we, we need, need a fullback. We'll get that guy. Whatever offense we're running, we need a fullback. Let's get that guy. Anybody have a fullback? Yeah, the Chiefs have a fullback. Okay, fine. And how about the snubs, the guys who were slighted? Uh, Chris Jones and I think Mitchell Schwartz. Right. Now, they are all alternates. Alternates. So they have been chosen in case somebody else. I've lived that world, yeah. Yeah, right. But in this day and age, virtually no one goes to the Pro Bowl anymore. To be selected, maybe yeah. it might be a deal where if you are selected to the Pro Bowl, I'm not it's, even sure it's, it's if you get Orlando. an incentive bonus for that. It's in really? Orlando. I know. Yeah. In Hawaii, I mean, Honolulu, that's cool. Yeah, and it was after the Super Bowl, so yeah. you know, those players really wanted to play. I mean, who wants to go get stuck on iDrive, driving with their family, and you got a bunch of screaming kids and want to go to <laughs> Disney World? Are you kidding me? <laughs> It's the last place I'd want to go <laughs> about right. for a Pro Bowl. Oh, my gosh. But congratulations to those guys. And uh, as well-deserved, uh, I, I think they were the second most as a team or yeah. tied for first. I, I think they're tied for first. I think yeah. They're, yeah, tied for first. I, I don't. The Pro Bowl to me means absolutely nothing. Nothing. But I mean, it know. means something to them to be chosen, I, you know, because you, you have – you know, yeah, you Frank, I, you know, thanks. Through. Thanks. It means yeah. nothing to you. I, nothing. I went once in 11 years. Yeah. And it meant something to me, Frank. I know it did. Too. No, it doesn't mean anything to you, <laughs> but it meant something to me. Because but... I had no chance. Ah, oh, you were a, you were a Pro Bowl yeah, media right. guy. Yeah, whatever. We had a lot of fun in the locker room. Someday we'll we talk did. about uh, yeah, some of the will. things we used to do to really pee off the rest of the media people. But we don't have time for that tonight. But guys, hey, thanks for listening in. Playoffs. Okay, let's talk. The Chiefs win. 
The next two, they're obviously the number one seed and everything's good. They get a bye week. Mm -hmm. So let's just hope that that's what's happened. Oh, you don't want to talk about Chargers again? No, no, we will get to that. I'm only kidding. Yeah. We'll get to that, but we've talked a lot about Chargers. Uh, so if they if they win the next two, mm-hmm. they have a bye, home field advantage, and they'll be what would the record be? Well, if they what win would the next, record be? they'll be thirteen and three. Oh god, the dreaded thirteen and three. <laughs> yes, I know. You know what? I it's funny because I, my wife, of course, you know, we had a little bit of water in the basement, so we had to whole, redo the whole basement. Of course, we had to paint everything, put a bunch of new carpeting well, in. What did mildew down there? And uh, had a couple uh, footballs that they made for us with our thirteen and three season. So I was walking by the other day, I was like, "Ooh, thirteen and three. That didn't really work out too well for no, us." It didn't. But it's different now. Right. Now they're, they're trying to exercise all their demons. Yes. So we'll see what happens. And this could be the year. We'll see. They still have – it's a way to go. They still have question marks. Defense is still a question mark, especially against the run. Uh, good news. Eric Berry, full participant today in practice. Uh, Cam Irving, full participant. They need him. Uh, Tyreek Hill, full participant. Uh, Naughty, same. He, he was a full practice for him. Now, problems are uh, uh, Spencer Ware – he was a uh, limited at practice today, and Sammy Watkins did not practice today, and Fuller did not practice today either, despite the fact he had his uh, he had the wrist surgery, and he's got a soft cast on. He's been with the team, but he did not uh, did not practice today. They may just be they don't want him to hit it, maybe digging on somebody, but he very well could play on Sunday. And Mitchell Schwartz, who everybody's worried because this mysterious knee injury that popped up, and they said he heard it in the game, but. He didn't miss any snaps in the game. He was limited today, and he is working on that 7,000-plus career snaps. Well, let's talk about Cam Irving here for a second. You know, yeah. just talk about the offensive line, really the middle of the offensive line, who I think has really kind of struggled over the last couple of weeks. As soon as Cam Irving went down, uh, you know, Andrew was Wiley, right, or Willie, what are the right. Wiley. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. him. Yeah, him. Uh, that guy. You know, they, they, Mitch Morris has had a really – a good opportunity, or the center, whoever the center at that point was, had a good opportunity to kind of help him out. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad player, but he's he's been over he's been overpowered the last couple games, and and I think teams have seen that, and they're kind of predicating the rush to right. the middle of the offensive line. And Mitch, you can only go one way or the other. You can't really be in both spots. So when they're turning their protection, they're trying to make sure that they're giving a little bit of help uh, to uh, to Wiley. But n- n- now that you know, Cam Irving went down, and then Jeff Allen went in, and Jeff Allen is not a bad player, decent, but but he he was struggling also. So now they were turning their protection to try to help out Jeff Allen, and it just it's not a good thing when you really can't pick a side to help. If both guards are struggling in pass protection, the center is really in a bad position. You you, you can't help both, so you got to pick one or the other through the product, through the pass protection call, and uh, the other guy's been struggling so. Getting Cam back now, they can help out to that other side a little bit because he is a little bit bigger and stronger in pass protection. And you've seen it. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is getting knocked down a little bit. He's been hit a lot hit over the last times, a last couple last games. Game. Yeah, and uh, that's not a good thing. Obviously, when you're playing against the Ravens and you're playing against the Chargers, both are really, really good defenses. And and Seattle's not. The old Seattle. Right. This is a well. They're not either one of those teams. No, sure. no. But but you know, a couple of years ago, they were the defense that everybody was like looked as that was the defense that was a legion of boom or something or doom or whatever they called themselves back there, and they had a good you know front seven and they had probably the best secondary. They're about average. So 
you know, the Chiefs went against the number one defense in the Ravens, and the Chargers are right up there the last two weeks. And those last two weeks were really, what, 11 days or something? So it's it's been a lot. So I think that people are talking about the Chiefs. I was listening to Keats a little bit earlier, and, and I forget who he had on, but they're talking about leaking oil a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this time of the year, you're going to leak a little bit of oil. I mean, most teams are kind of limping into the yeah, playoffs. walking wounded for a lot of teams, yeah. And, you know, at this time of the year, you, you know, and you, you want to have those home games, and and obviously the Chiefs have to go to Seattle, which is not an easy place to play. Now, let me, let me just say this. The Chiefs are a better football team than the Seattle Seahawks in everything except maybe running the ball. Seattle's a good football team running the ball. And 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 Wilson is a heck of a quarterback that makes plays also. So offensively, there's some things that they do which hurt the Chiefs. They run the ball pretty well, mm-hmm. and they also get the ball out to the tight end. They get the ball out to the backs, and they throw short, compact passing patterns that hurt the Chiefs. It really right. does. So mm-hmm. you know the Chiefs are going to have to tackle better back there. They're going to have to get to Russell Wilson. They're going to have to do all those little things defensively that they've struggled with. And, Frank, and it reared its ugly head. You want to talk a little bit about that Charger game, which just makes me sick because they had that game. But you want to just push rewind a little bit and talk about that Charger game. The last five minutes was a microcosm of the Chiefs' defensive season. Yeah, right, exactly, because they just couldn't stop him. There was just no way. And then the Chiefs' offense, I know Keats harped on this a lot this week. But he blamed the offense a lot because of that, uh, you know, that last offensive sequence for them. They couldn't get the first down. It the penalty, the penalty and a kickoff return, number one, that stuck them back to about the 10-yard line. So then they had to be a little bit conservative anyway. Then they come out and they were really conservative. And, you know, they ran the ball, and then they get another penalty, and it was just it, – it was a mess from the start, and they had to punt the ball away. And then uh, Phil Rivers came down, and the Chiefs defense couldn't stop him. He puts him in the end zone at the end, and then he gets he, – they get the two-point conversion on totally – you know, confusion, blown, total blown confusion yeah. on, on the Chiefs. And they'd called a timeout only about four seconds ahead of that. And, you know, try to figure some things out here, guys. Gosh, what are you doing here? Maybe they shouldn't have talked so, about it. They just yeah, confused each other. Yeah, they really did. Because And then the, the, they allowed the two-point conversion, and that's the thing that killed them and just devastated everyone. You know, it was just a, it was a brutal way to lose a football game. But after beating that team for so many, so many times in a row, like nine times in a row, they're going to get you. I mean, it, yeah. it's going to come back and bite you eventually, and that one really bit them when it really hurt them. Yeah, I mean, Philip Rivers, the last five minutes, was as good as I've seen Philip oh, Rivers gosh, really in his career. Mm-hmm. But the Chiefs didn't help themselves with some of the, you know, they, their safeties were playing deep. They were playing right. cover two. They were playing man underneath. And really, that fit into perfectly what Philip Rivers wanted to do with some of the slants and little hitches and just kind of getting that ball out quick and letting his, letting his receivers right. catch the ball in space a little bit and run with it. And uh, Chiefs tackling wasn't that great. Their their communication wasn't that great. Eric Berry was not in. So, um, you know, it was just a perfect storm of, of bad defensive football. And, you know, they, they've got to be better than that. But to your point, I completely agree. It would have all been fine if the Chiefs could just run the ball a little bit and take care of the clock, which they couldn't because, well, you know, that didn't have Cream Hunt. Yeah, it's exactly right. He's you know, and then Seren talks about this all the time. That four minute offense at the end of the game, when you're trying to eat the clock and get first on at the same time, you have a guy in backfield who runs like he does, and not only that, he can also pass protect, and the other thing, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So he's he's a triple threat all the way around for the Chiefs, and they just didn't have. And absolutely, you're talking about the four minute offense. It's something that the Kansas City Chiefs work on every Wednesday. 
uh, at the end of practice, you have what they call a four-minute drive. And just like you work on the two-minute drive, you work on a four-minute drive, and you work on not going out of bounds. If you catch the ball, now you stay in bounds. And you also work on those run plays that you can run that will eat up a little bit of clock. So you put your, let's say, your five or six best run plays in that four minutes and say, hey, guys, this is right. what we're going to run. You know what we're going to run. Probably a little bit of counter, a little bit of power, a little bit of stretch stuff to the outside. And uh, you remember, stay in bounds. And eat that clock up, and they work on that, and you know they, they, and the the passes that fit into that concept, that four minute offensive concept, the little tight end dumps, the little little slants, the little right. kind of throwing the, that the, that little screen that she's like to do. It basically possession throws. You don't want the ball hitting the ground, and you don't want your guy running out of bounds. So those are important things for the Chiefs to do and have be able to do. But I think they were out of sync a little bit because they were missing that main cog, and that's Kareem Hunt. Yeah, right. And the penalties have killed this team. And if you continue on this path, uh, they'll really get you in a, in, in a playoff scenario. They're, they'll kill you in a playoff scenario. I mean, and I, I thought Mel and uh, Sam did a nice job uh, with an article. I think it was either yesterday or today. I think it was today talking about, um, you know, relax a little bit. But the reality of the situation is these are the kind of things that kind of creep up in the consciousness of Chief fans, <laughs> right? Really I mean, and he made a good point. That there's a lot of new Chief fans because of a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Sure. And you know what? And, and not only here in Kansas City, and there's a ton of new Chief fans here in Kansas City, if you can believe it, because they love Patrick Mahomes. But all over the country, this guy has, I mean, heck, he's got, he's got, uh, ketchup commercials coming up. He's got a cereal coming up. So, he, I mean, he's starting to, you know, kind of become that superstar. And there's a lot of people that like him. And people have to understand that Chief fans' are, uh, psyches are fragile. Oh, gosh. And when things like this happen, you have penalties and you give up 15 points in the last five Same minutes. Old cheese. You, you have so these you things. Start creep, it starts creeping into consciousness because the first thing I get on my Twitter after the game's over, it's Clark Hunt's fault. I just, I, I just, I, I, I went, okay, it's time for me to go to bed. It's, I think I, I'm not going to. you got to be rational for that? I, I don't know. It, it's, it's all the Hunt's fault because they just want to win enough, don't win too many, don't ever win a Super Bowl, and just keep the fans interested in coming out. You know, just make sure they're interested. I said, what would be more interesting coming out to win a Super Bowl? Are you kidding? I mean, crazy, yeah. You know, that theory, knowing the Hunt family the way I do, especially this younger generation of the Hunt family, not saying Lamar was, you know, a guy who didn't want to win a Super Bowl. He he did, but you know, Clark and really, I mean, the whole family. I mean, that's what they want. I mean, I mean that's, come that's, on. How, that's, that's how you get known as a, as an owner. I mean, that's that puts you in the upper echelon of ownership when you win a Super Bowl. I mean, well, what more would they want than to have the Chiefs win the trophy that's named after their father? I mean, yeah. If yeah. nothing else, my God, <laughs> come on! And then he named a Super Bowl. It was his. He coined the phrase Super Bowl. So, you know, the whole thing just, uh, there's there's no rationale. But the Chiefs fans' psyches are fragile. There's no doubt about that. And we understand that. I understand it. I've been here since 81. I've never covered a Super Bowl, okay, ever. And um, it's just, and I, I think the Chiefs fans, you know, they, they deserve a Super Bowl. Problem is, doesn't matter if you deserve one or not. Team's got to go and earn it. Yeah, I mean, I've played 11 years here at Kansas City. We were in the playoffs nine times. Yep. And never made the Super Bowl, went to the AFC Championship game. In Buffalo. And, and against a team that we destroyed earlier in the year on a Monday night, we thought, oh, here we go. And then obviously having the two 13-3 seasons and having home field advantage and losing to the Colts, which was a disaster and an embarrassment and should never have happened. And then losing to Denver, which, you know, just one of those, I mean, just felt like nothing right 
Uh, Nothing was, ever goes your way. Ball yeah, never bounced your way. It that's didn't. For sure. It was a. It was one of those games that, you know, when you're playing against a team that knows you so well, it's it's going to come down to one or two plays, and they just made one or two plays more than we did. But they go to Seattle, uh, an old AFC West uh, rival, mm-hmm. a team that we used to play all the time, and. And they go and play in a place that's really, really loud. I compare it a lot to Arrowhead. It is. I think the Seattle fans are very uh, similar. Uh, they're they're knowledgeable fans. They're good fans. They 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 dress the part. They wear that that ugly highlighter color shirts, whatever the thing is that they wear it's there. Green. But that they look like highlighters, human highlighters. <laughs> it's not a, it's not it's not even a green. It's some kind of neon green or something but they wear those and they're very loud and they're very knowledgeable and listen this team is really really good in prime time they're 16 and 2 in prime time games under uh, a Pete Carroll and then also just to kind of add to that 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 uh, Russell Wilson is 12 and 1 against the AFC in his career so there's a lot of things that just don't add up good for the Chiefs going into this game a primetime game an AFC game they do well against uh, with both and against the AFC uh but I just think the Chiefs are a better football team yeah I, yeah I've, I've heard a lot this week you know a lot of people think it's going to be a double digit win for the Chiefs or whatever I'm, I'm not on that page right now with these guys listen this Seattle's going to be playing for their life as well and I know Chiefs have a lot to play for as well Chiefs have way more offensive Chiefs can score 30-plus points, they're going to win because Seattle just can't keep up. But Brian Schottenheimer, yeah. Marty's son, yep. is the offensive coordinator. Good point. And he is, he's his dad's son. He's an old-school offensive coordinator. They run the ball. They're number two in the league in uh, rushing attempts. Number one team in the league in rushing attempts this season, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. And that the, it's the, they're going to use the exact same formula that Baltimore did. Their defense is not as good. But they're averaging about 155 yards rushing per game. That is number one in the NFL, and they always try to dominate in time possession. Keep the game close. They think if they can hold the Chiefs under 30, they've got a chance. And they do if they can hold the Chiefs. Well, the formula was obviously given them by the Ravens. You know that, that, uh, I want to say Marty, but... uh, Brian. You know Brian uh, Schottenheimer. By the way, a Blue Valley West kid. Yes. Who played quarterback here, won a state championship, I believe, with Blue Valley. Uh, no, Blue Valley. Blue Valley. Blue Valley, uh, Blue Valley right, mm-hmm. the Tigers. Uh, so, he, you know, he he's a guy that, you know, he looked at that Raven film. He studied that Raven film. And he, he saw a lot of the things. And the one thing that Russell Wilson does pretty well is some of those RPO zone read things. Yeah, he does. He's that, good at that. That uh, the dude from the Ravens did so well, Jackson, right? Yeah, Lamar Jackson. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a concern for the Chiefs also. But, uh, you know, I just. He will run the ball. I mean, yeah, he'll take off and run, a lot like Lamar Jackson. But the problem is he can throw yes. a lot better than Lamar Jackson. But you know what's interesting? He's only thrown 377 passes. That is the least amount of passes for any any starting quarterback who started every game this year. 377 and, passes. That's all. And I'm going to bet you out, out of those 377 passes, now I don't have this stat, and I don't even know if they keep it, but I would say that 20 to 25 of those passes were over 25 yards. Oh, he'll they, throw it downfield, yeah. But he but he doesn't like to do it. He can do it, but they just don't do it. And I think it fits into what kind of what Marty Schottenheimer would do with his offense. He'd run the ball, take care of the ball, you know, look for try those, not to have any penalties. Look for those chunk plays when right. they present themselves. Run some play action, but uh, you know, be a little conservative and let your defense kind of you know take over and, and don't put yourself in a bad position at the end of the game you go win it yeah right and uh you know so i think that's what uh seattle now well listen they they, they they're they're in the playoffs if if they win out 
Yeah, but well, they, they only. I think they only have to win one to secure a playoff spot. They have to win one. Yeah, I think so. If they if they had won last week, the they lost seed. an overtime San Francisco. They would have clinched a playoff spot. Not you know somewhere up and down the line there, but they're you know their situation. They're trying to win their last two games as what well. What are they so. eight and six? They're eight and six. So isn't that funny? Because if if they okay, they say they're nine and seven, they'll be the fifth seed, I believe. Right? They one game. If they win one, they make it. Yeah. The Chiefs will be. If they, let's say the Chiefs, in the worst case scenario, lose one, okay, and they're twelve and four. Guess where they go? They're going to be the fifth seed. And that that just sucks. <laughs> that's what happens. I mean, I, I you, you have two really good teams, the AFC West, and that's the problem. That just you have the, you know, just you have the Chargers sucks. and the Chiefs, and one of the other is going to be the fifth seed. All right, so we'll, we'll just make sure that's San Diego. All right, guys, we got a nice uh, uh, show lined up for you. We're going to have uh, Aaron Taylor come on. Aaron Taylor, who I actually re- recruited to Notre Dame, and now works for. CBS uh, Sports. No, I can't wait of... to ask him what what you did when you took him. Oh, he won't out. tell you. He's not going to tell you that. He won't tell you. What do you mean he won't tell me? <laughs> Better tell me. <laughs> uh, but you know, the one thing that he's done, and our old offensive line coach, I had him for two years, and uh, Aaron had him for four years. A famous guy by the name of Joe Moore, Pittsburgh guy. Pittsburgh guy. I he know coached Joe. high school football at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only guy that I that, that ever smoked cigarettes on the sideline while I was playing a game. <laughs> We have a menthol uh, cigarette and a menthol cough drop in his mouth at the same time, thinking that he was masking his smoke, but he wasn't. Yeah, right. Uh, but just a, a quality, quality offensive line coach. A lot of people think the best line, offensive line coach ever coach in college, and they named the offensive line Heisman Trophy kind of after the Joe Moore Award, and Aaron is really involved in that. You know who won it this year? Who? Notre Dame. O- Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma won it. Oklahoma oh. won it. Notre Dame won it last year. And they, they, had, they had Quentin Nelson and, and and a bunch of, you know, guys who went in the first round. So they had they had, you know, a good offensive line. Yeah, and it is for the entire offensive line. It's not just for a lineman. Right. It is the only award that goes to a group. Uh in, in as well, college football. That's the way it yeah. should be. And yeah. uh, I am actually on this committee. Uh, so I do get a vote. Uh I think I voted for Georgia and then I voted for Oklahoma and then I think I forget who else I put down there. Maybe it was Alabama. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, we, you, what you do is you watch a little bit of film and you kind of look at it and you, you look you just kind of as a group. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at Oklahoma, I mean, oh, yeah, my gosh. So they want it. So we'll talk to Aaron a little bit about that. Also, I want to touch with him a little bit on the subject that I brought up uh, Tuesday on Twitter and with uh, Seren is this over-offering thing. This is crazy. It's oh, yeah, in college of, football? It's yes. getting out of hand. I didn't realize that until uh, I, I read that article. I was just going, what is that? There's, there's, there's offers that are considered offers that you can accept, and then there's offers that you can't accept. There, there's, there's, there's levels of offership. That's, <laughs> I know that's not a word. Right. But there are levels. And if you're one of those kids and you're offered a scholarship, let's say little Frankie Bowl gets offered a scholarship to Villanova. There you are. And he wants to go to Villanova. And he picks up the phone and he calls a Villanova head coach and says, Coach Smith from Villanova, I want to go to school there. I want to play football at Villanova. And he, he says to you, hmm. you can't commit. We'll let you know when you can commit or if you can't commit. But what about I got an offer? Doesn't matter. You yeah. can't commit. That's amazing, and it's just it's amazing because they're these... because they're offering other kids at the same time. They get some kids better than you. They're going to sign them and not you. And it all kinda... and you're sitting out there oh. thinking you want to go to school there, and the next thing you know, well, you're out without anything. And then you think about all these kids that have forty or fifty schools that have offered them, right? And maybe one or two on them. Wow, isn't that crazy? But they offer you because they want to hold you. Yeah, sure. And they want to, you know, if in case they want to dip into that. 
that offer bowl and pull you out, sure. then th- they have the ability to do that, and which is really unfair and on a lot of different levels for the players and for the families. Well, and high school and, coaches, everybody. Uh, high school coaches. And, but, you know, I mean, that's just the way they do it. So we'll talk to Aaron a little bit about that and uh, talk to a little bit about uh, will Notre Dame. I, I've talked about this a bunch, but will Notre Dame go into a conference? And is it time for them to do it? Because the Big Ten right now is throwing a you-know-what fit. That oh, they didn't get somebody in. They, they are ticked off. Anybody doesn't get in the first team, and if Notre Dame does, first team, they they start talking about uh, Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yep. Yep. All right, well, we'll take a break. We went a little bit long, but uh, what we'll do is we'll get Aaron on here in a couple minutes, and we'll talk to Aaron a little bit about those things. Uh, you know, this is really, really a big week, a big week for the Kansas City Chiefs, and we'll take some phone calls from you guys right after the Aaron went to hear what you guys think about this Seattle matchup with the Chiefs and Boy, it's it's going to be a big game for the Chiefs on Sunday night. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Aaron Taylor. The most powerful sports station in America has a home in Kansas City. This is Sports Radio 810 WHB. All right, welcome back to Crunch Time. We have a special guest, Frank. Yes, we do. We have Aaron Taylor on the line, offensive guard, played six seasons in the NFL, two-time All-American at Notre Dame. First-round pick, Green Bay, played at San Diego as well. College football analyst for CBS and the founder of the Joe Moore Award, as we talked about in the last segment, best offensive line in college football, the only major uh, award that is given to a group of players, which is great. Super Bowl champ, Lombardi Award, Mr. Everything, Aaron Taylor. Aaron, welcome to Crunch Time, buddy. You're on with Tim Grunhardt and Frank Bowl. Thank you, Frank. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm the other 75, as they affectionately call me in South Bend, because uh, <laughs> your partner there wore that number with pride and did it just. Well, I remember when you came in uh, as a, a young recruit. Uh, I think it was I was in my senior year. We were practicing for the Orange Bowl, and uh, you came in, and I said, "Boy, oh boy, they are really recruiting well now." They had this big old monster of a man, and Aaron uh, <laughs> and Taylor coming in. So, Aaron, uh, uh, thanks so much. No, for no, coming. hold it, Tim. Don't no, gloss no, over. No, 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 I want to hear from Aaron what the recruiting trip was like <laughs> with Tim Grunhardt in South Bend, Indiana. I don't care about the rest of the stuff you're talking about. Come on now. <laughs> there, there wasn't a whole lot of beer, or Long Island iced teas left at the linebacker. I uh, At that time, I hadn't quite started lifting the way that I would by the time I left South Bend, so I was built like an apple with some toothpicks in it. So I had a lot to learn from the real 75. Uh, there you go. Boy, we did. Uh, it was actually a place called Studies, I believe, is where I brought you. But uh, let's, not, let's not let the facts get in the way of a good no, story. No, but, no. Uh, in fact, uh, Carter, <laughs> Carter Putz, who is a, a, a baseball player now at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, his family owned that. And I didn't know that until uh, Carter Putz was a guy that I coached in, college, in high school who became a All-State uh, quarterback and then went to Notre Dame to play baseball. So he's a freshman there, and his family owned Studies. So oh, you're kidding? Me. Yeah, kind of a kind of a small world. So uh, yeah, those, those are some good what, times. What's the uh, what's the statue of limitations for liver damage? Can we go after? <laughs> <a part of laughs> what? Uh, yeah, you know what? I think yeah, I think we've 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 ruined that statue of limitations, Aaron. That's for, that's for sure. But hey, you are a busy guy, and I know that. Thanks so much for coming on. And tell us a little bit about. I know you're doing the CBS uh, uh, football uh, a- analyst uh, show, but what else are you doing? I I, I ran into you at the Air Force game. Are, are you still doing some uh, some color stuff too uh, on Saturdays? 
Yeah, I do. I call games on the weekends. Um, the A crew for our Mountain West Conference package, and I do the B games for the SEC when we have the doubleheaders in November. So not a bad gig to call meaningful football in uh, America's best conference in, in November where we all remember what you do there. So it's been fun. I do a fair amount of speaking uh, in the off season, just talk about teamwork and leadership and uh, mental health and resiliency and some of the different things around the country to small groups and organizations. But I'm also pretty busy with the Joe Moore Award, man. That's a 365, 24-7 ordeal. And we just announced the fact that Oklahoma won it. And, Tim, you, you know better than anybody what Joe Moore expected. You put the tape on, you see those Sooners play up front. There's a lot that looks familiar. And uh, I think that's really what stood out about this year's group. But I'll tell you what, man, I've done and been a part of some incredible stuff, but nothing has been more rewarding than doing the stuff we've done with the Joe Moore Award. And not because of what we created, but what we've been able to experience and do in that process of creating virtual O-line uh, rooms with all the stuff that we do watching film and traveling around to the country, watching guys tear up and hug each other that they finally accomplished what it is they set out to do. And in the O-line position, man, as you know, is, is all about your brother. It's all about the room. And uh, our tagline is, I am because of us, that we are not it, we are part of it. And I think that Spirit is really what Joe Moore instilled in all of us, aside from teaching us to bring our backside shoulder and, and knees and getting our elbows inside and all those things we need to do with our pad level and leverage and those sorts of things. But he got us to be the best versions of ourselves, whether we wanted to or not, and oftentimes against our own will. And uh, we created this award to kind of preserve that legacy that's such a meaningful part of what this game and this country really was founded upon. You know, Aaron, that's a, a great point. And you, you, you hit it right on the head what the Joe Moore Award is all about and why we did it with Joe. But Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what made you guys and what what made, I know Jordy's involved with you a bunch doing this, Jordy Halter, another guy that we went and played football with at Notre Dame, but how'd you guys come up with the concept of, of the, first of all, the trophy is just outstanding looking, it was, it was beautiful, it was it was at Notre Dame, and, and it boy oh boy, it is as nice as any Heisman Trophy could ever be for offensive linemen. But how, how did you come up with this concept, and how did you put it together? Because I mean, this, this, these kind of awards, they just don't let you kind of jump into this world of awards in that's college right. football. Yeah, that, that's a great point, man. You're spot on. And it started on uh, June seventh, two 2015, and I got off the phone with James Moore, who was Joe's son, and they have an annual football camp out in Pittsburgh the first weekend in June. It's just a bunch of fat guys coaching a bunch of young, stiff, fat guys that are still playing the position. <laughs> and uh, We had talked about wanting to do something, man, to preserve the legacy of this guy that meant so much to so many. And Kirk Ferentz uh, was coached by Joe Moore. He's currently Iowa's head coach. Well, Joe Moore coached Kirk in high school, and Kirk had tried to do something a couple years, uh, maybe 10 or so years ago, that never really got off the ground. And now having launched this award, I know exactly why, because of the amount of time and resources that it takes. So the head coach just doesn't have to do it. But I kind of wanted to take the baton from Kirk and find a way to preserve the legacy of a man that really got us to be the best versions of ourselves and, and to believe in ourselves and, and squeeze as much water from the rock as he could and it was about toughness and it was about teamwork and it was about preserving the principles that I think, again, you know, our country and our position in this sport were founded upon that, in my opinion, we're kind of getting uh, thrown by the wayside. It's a, it's a dying art when you watch guys finish and play the game the way that it's supposed to be. But uh, the award really is symbolic of, of who Joe was. And rightly or wrongly, he was a man of principle. He believed in what he believed 
and he was willing to stand by that. And he was a tough sucker, man. I mean, he, yeah. he got everything he could out of us. So it was really about preserving and honoring the legacy of a man that did things the right way in our position. And we just used that award to be able to do that. And it's much more than pinning a ribbon on, on the chest of five tough-ass dudes. It's about what's possible when we come together and work our butts off for the common good without personal gain and, and without wanting to be the star. We do it behind the scenes. We do it in the dark. And it's about celebrating a position and, and educating people about how important offensive line play is to winning football. So there's a lot of things that go on about what it is we do. And uh, the award's just one of the – we couldn't think of any more fitting way to create college football's biggest trophy at 800 pounds, at 7 feet tall, at 6 feet wide, and 3 feet deep. What a way to be able to create an award that if it takes five guys to lift it and to earn it, it should take five guys to lift it. So that's why it's so big and it's proportional to kind of the, the principles that we're upholding, man. It's among the best things I've ever done in my life, man, just to be a, a meaningful part of a team again and celebrate something that's worth celebrating. You know, kind of uh, looking at some of the film and kind of looking back at, you know, this award and, and, and the, the, the opportunity to, to look at the Georgias and look at the Oklahomas and look at the Notre Dames and, and look at the LSUs and all those programs, and you, you, you see a lot of the things that Joe Moore did teach. So, I mean, there's a trickle down from some of the, the, the coaches and some of the people that are around him. You know, I know Harry Heastead, who's now with the Chicago uh, Bears, is a guy that uh, who's at Notre Dame who's a big Joe Moore disciple. Uh, so, yeah, we're so proud of what you guys have done with that award, and congratulations. And I, I love being on the committee. I know I just do a little thing with just a little vote and watch some film, but it's a lot of fun doing it. But, you know, when you watch a lot of these offensive lines, you're watching a lot of great football teams. When you watch a lot of great football teams, you know there's some teams that are getting slighted out there that probably should have the opportunity, and I'm kind of getting the college football playoff, trying to trying to squeeze that in, uh, try to get that opportunity to go on and play for a national championship. And right now there's four. So you have, you have uh, obviously Alabama, you have Oklahoma, you have Clemson, you have Notre Dame, who made the four. Do you think because a team like Ohio State or do you think because a team like Georgia was left out this year that there's going to be a groundswell uh, of coaches and ADs coming out and saying, hey, we need to expand this thing? We've already seen it, man, and it's happening whether or not we want it to or not. You look at the Jim Delaney's and the Bob Bowlesby's of the world, two of the more traditional uh, conference commissioners out there kind of coming out and being outspoken. And it was interesting because the Big Ten commissioner, Jim Delaney, wasn't talking about the fact that the Big Ten champions been left out of the college football playoff now three straight years, and the Pac-12's missed it three of the last four. He was talking about UCF and maybe expanding it and giving them a chance. The narrative is already taking shape, and I think we need to be careful. I'm all about college football determining as champion on the field, but the, the reality is Georgia didn't make it because they were in a playoff the week before. College football is great, and it's, it's the popular, most popular sport in this country because every game matters. There's a meaningful regular season. And when you start to go in 18 playoff and you lose two or three games and you start hearing stuff like, hey, just wait till we get to the playoffs, that's when we're going to turn it on, I think we're going to lose the very thing that makes this sport special. I like it at four. I think we should keep the bar high instead of lowering the bar. The problem is, economically, eight games is, or eight teams are going to make a hell of a lot more money than four teams. And as soon as they can figure that out, Every other level of football, whether it's Division Two or Division Three, uses a playoff system. So we're going to have it on the FBS level as soon as they can figure out what to do with some of the more antiquated, at this point, relationships with the bowl tie-ins, with the Big Ten uh, and the Pac-12 now. 
with, with what they've got going on there. But I, I, there's a way to do it. I think we need to be careful. I'm not opposed to having eight teams. What I am opposed to is diluting the meaningful regular season, I think, sets college football apart. I think there's a way to do it. But that narrative has already started. It happened immediately. And it was because the Big Ten champion got left out once again. We're talking with CBS college football analyst Aaron Taylor. Aaron, Notre Dame's in a pretty unique situation here. If you stay with the four teams and Notre Dame qualifies when they don't have to uh, have the 13th data point, which they all talk about in college football because they're not a member of a conference, therefore do not have to uh, play in a playoff game. When you have four teams in and Notre Dame's one of them, you always start hearing, but the Irish, they got a they got to join a conference. Why aren't they in a conference? They're cheating the rest of the conferences out of you know ha- having a shot at it. But if you go to eight teams, that narrative of Notre Dame joining a conference dies down again because now you're going to have the five power conference champions involved, and you'll have three at large champions. So or three at large picks after that. So that sort of quells that. Do you think that Notre Dame any time in the near future or even ten years from now will join a conference full time? Notre Dame's been able to maintain and preserve its independence and enjoy a friends-with-benefits relationship with the ACC because it's the only national brand in college football with fan bases that span coast-to-coast. There's some other national brands that are followed, Alabama's certainly being the the best legacy and, and dynasty we've ever seen in the history of this sport has a national following. But Notre Dame's a special deal, and that goes back all the way back to World War II when the country was watching the news highlight reels and Notre Dame was the only sports team featured, that's when people became Subway alumni and kind of got endeared to them. Notre Dame will only ever join a conference full-time if they're forced to. They're not. And they're a big reason why, with UCF, that we're finally starting to see the narrative because an undefeated Notre Dame team that went 12-0 and and didn't have to play in a conference championship game is largely responsible why we didn't see another SEC Team and have two again in back-to-back years, and Georgia was left out, and why Ohio State got left out. If Notre Dame hadn't have been there, that would have created another opportunity for one of those Power Five conferences. So the reality is this system was set up to fail from day one. There were four spots for the five big boys. Somebody was always going to get left out, and it was an inevitability that it was going to go from four to eight at some point, and that's where we're at now, not because of anything other than the fact that there's big boys at the table that got left out, and they're no longer going to tolerate that. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. The other thing is I always tell people that, you know, the NBC contract that's been put together for Notre Dame, gosh, back when, you know, gosh, maybe 92 or 93 when that kicked in, I mean, it's just so intertwined with Notre Dame, and there's no way that if they join the SEC that uh, the SEC is going to say, okay, well, you take those eight home games or the let's say the five home games against SEC opponents and you put it on NBC, and then CBS is going to say that's okay. That's never going to happen. I mean, it, it, we talk about money. It always has that, <laughs> that little twinge of, hey, money's involved also. Hey, but real quick, i got to ask you this question because it just came out, Aaron, and I know you're involved – uh, with youth football, I know you're involved and you've seen a lot of this recruiting stuff and they just had the early signing period. Last question for you and we'll let you go. Talk to us a little bit about this over-offering and this 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 whole new adage of there's an offer, but you can't accept it, and then there's an offer and we want you to accept and when you accept, we'll take it. There are teams that are offering, like Tennessee came out and it was in uh, one of the Atlantic articles 
or excuse me, athletic articles. Athletic, yeah. uh, was 440 offers for 22 <laughs> spots. How does that happen? Yeah, it, it, it's a numbers game, man. And everybody's trying to cover their butt. And the reason that it happens, they're empowering these 17, 18-year-old kids with making decisions. And why these coaches put their livelihood in the hands of these young knucklehead kids, I'll never know. But the reason why is because kids change their minds. So they over-offer to cover their bases for the very same reasons that airlines oversell their seats. <laughs> they want to make sure that at the end of the day, they have a full quota when they take off. Well, college football programs are the same, and that's why some of the shenanigans happen. At the end of the day, I don't think it's good for the teams, and I don't think it's good for the players, but it is good for business, and that's why it takes place. All right, Aaron, I lied. Last question. Go ahead. No, Frank. I was going to just ask him. Just give us a pick. <laughs> yeah. for, Come for, on, for, Tim. For, you know you're never supposed to say last question. I know. It's, it's exactly because it's never the last question. Because, especially no. with Frank here. You always gotta, <laughs> I yeah. just want to get his pick for the national champion. That's all I want to hear. Other than Notre Dame, who's going to be the national champion? <laughs> oh, man. Well, there's two interesting matchups. I think Oklahoma's offensive line that won the Joe Moore going against one of the better front sevens led by Quinnen Williams. Their nose tackle number 92 is going to be something to watch. Alabama, I think, will win that game. Oklahoma can score points. But they're dead last in red zone touchdowns allowed. 130 out of 130. 85% of the times that teams get inside the 20, they score a touchdown. We know Alabama can score some points, so I'd expect Alabama to emerge from there, but it'll be a closer game than I think people think. I'm interested to see how Notre Dame's offensive line does against one of the best front four we've seen in college football in quite some time in the Clemson Tigers. Also interested to see if there's enough athleticism there. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be what we've seen so many times before, and that's the Alabama Crimson Tide playing the Clemson Tigers up in Santa Clara for the national championship. Alabama will win, and Nick Saban will answer any questions about the fact that he's the best college football coach in the history of this sport. Well, I, you're probably right, but I hope you're wrong, Aaron. Are you going to be heading down? I don't think I am. Yeah, I know. Are you heading down to the Cotton Bowl? I'm not, man. Okay. I, uh, this time of year, I, I spend uh, from mid-August to yesterday on the road away from my family. So vacation to me looks like sitting on the couch with a remote in my hand mother hand in a bag of Cheetos and just watching tape and, and hugging my kids and chasing them around. So uh, I, I'll be there in spirit, but uh, I'm going to watch the game on my television sitting on my couch in front of the Good fire. for you, buddy. Yeah, That's all right. Awesome. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I don't know about that 75 2.0. That's not quite right, but uh, <laughs> do appreciate having you on, man. You're, you're great, and uh, go Irish, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Let's do it again, Tim. Nice to meet you, Frank. All right, you too, Aaron. All right, that was Aaron Taylor. We'll take a break here right now, guys. We're going to open up the phone lines here. What's the phone number here again? I don't even know. It's 3810810, right? 9133810810. I can't see that. No, I can't. 9133810810. You know, I don't ask for phone. You know, the shows that I come on, they never ask for phone calls. You guys, we'd love to talk to you. We only have a couple minutes. Yeah, just give us a ring. We'll talk to us. Squeeze you in here. We'll have a little fun. Talk cheese. You can talk. College football scholarships if you want. Yeah, if you, or you can yell at Tim about Notre Dame yeah. not being in a conference. You know what? If you have a high school kid, <laughs> if you have a high school kid who's looking for a scholarship or has a scholarship, how does this make you feel with this numbers game? Yeah. It's a scary deal. So give us a call at 913 Yeah, You're listening to Crunch Time. Kansas City's hometown sports station. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Alexa, play Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
I think Katy Perry's a little out of our wheelhouse. It is. Sort of I, thing. In uh, 913-388-10, <laughs> if you guys want to use Alexa to give us a call. There you go. Tell her to call. Yeah, Alexa, I, call 913-388-10. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Ron. Ron, right. you're on with uh, Grunny and Frank. What's up, buddy? How are you guys doing tonight? We're, We're great. We're great. You know, I just want to know what your opinion is. I'm really concerned about the Chiefs because I just don't think he's going to outscore championship teams. But uh, And also, I'll just listen off the air. I heard some kind of story about you and Lou Holtz in Augusta. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll listen for the comment. All right. Tim? It, it, it is true, and actually there will be an article coming out on, uh, on Yahoo uh, next week a little bit about uh, Lou Holtz's uh, – his theory of four for 40. So he coaches you for four. You give him four, he'll give you 40. So, yeah, we went to Augusta. I was able to play. We went the day before. Uh, had dinner in the uh, Augusta Cabins. dining room and yeah. went up into the crow's nest. Did had, you? A, had a couple cocktails Did up there. Did you stay there? On, stayed on, oh my on property. Wow. Uh, so got up in the morning, uh, had a little breakfast, played the back nine, and then we played the par three 18. Okay, and then we played eighteen again. So you you always want to play the 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 back. You want to play the back nine. The back nine is a cool part. Sure, of yeah. Augusta, you, you know the amen. So corn. you only played nine. You no, played, so we played nine. Yeah, and then we played we play, the par three. Then we played the par three eighteen, and then we went and played all eighteen after that. Oh gosh, so we played twenty seven, and then eighteen in the par three. Oh wow. So yeah, that's it was, a day. That was a great day, and that and, is cool. And to answer your question, yeah, I, I if any team can outscore, it could be this team. I'm a little worried about the running game for the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, it just concerns me. This, if, if there's any crack in the foundation of this offense, is mm-hmm. that four-minute running game or being able to pound it out and, and make some plays on the ground when you need to. Right. But this team has so many unbelievable uh, weapons that they could score a bunch of points. Yeah. So I think uh, I think if they can, you know, like I said, Seattle's going to try to hold them under 30. I think a lot of teams feel if we can hold the Chiefs under 30 points, we got a good shot at beating them. If we can't, because Seattle cannot win a track meet no. on Sunday. They cannot win a track meet. They can't. And no a lot way. of teams can't. But right. but you're right. There are some championship teams out there that could score a lot of points, and the Chiefs have got to make some stops. All right, we'll take one more call. Let's go to uh, Dave. Dave, you're on with uh, Grunny and Frank. What's up? Grunny, Frank, thank you very much. First-time caller. Tim, this is for you. I am wondering in the off season. If there's any room on this defense to bring our hometown boy home from Denver, and I'll jump off, bring Mr. Shane Ray home to Kansas City. I'll jump off. Happy holidays, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hey, thank you. Well, I I do think that there would be an opportunity for Shane to come back to Kansas City. I know it's a place that he loves. I know it's a place that he'd like to come back to. His mother still lives here. She does travel out for every game out into Denver. I think she leaves on like a Thursday. You know, she works out here for Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, so she, uh, uh, you know, has to obviously work, and then she gets on the plane and flies out there. I know Shane still has his Kansas City tattoo with the Chiefs on it on his back. Uh, he loves the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he's not real happy right now in Denver. <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, he has been inactive over the last couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the it's writing, not because of injury. Yeah, the writing is on the wall with with uh, with the, was it Chubbs, who's a defensive outside linebacker that they the guy from Georgia um, that uh, boy he's really really good and uh, you know they actually I'm sorry North Carolina State yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the writing's on the wall a little bit for Shane. So I, I think he's going to be a 
he's a free agent coming up here, so he's going to have an opportunity to go somewhere, and I think you'd love to come to Kansas City. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, you have to watch, too. What's going to happen with, you know, D. Ford? What's going to happen with Justin Houston? You know, the the whole thing here. What's going to happen with Eric Berry? Where's Eric Berry going to be? How's, is he going to survive all this? We certainly hope he does, but will the Achilles hen, uh, tendons hold up? How will he be playing here at the end of the year? We'll have to see because, oh, you know, between Justin Houston and Eric Berryman, they're eating up a lot of salary caps. So it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. And remember, defense hasn't been that great anyway. Okay, so that's that's an issue. And 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 uh, he also uh, Shane Ray went through a uh, a, a wrist injury. Yeah, uh, he had he was almost they almost put him uh, on IR because they were going to do surgery on, it, and he said, "No, no, I'll fight through it." So you know, he's one of those guys who say, "Listen, I want to keep playing. I don't want to have that surgery." And you know, now he's in a position where they're not playing it very well, and I think he's still a little bit um, nicked up, nicked up. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, I don't know, but okay, Frank. That's your, next year. Yeah, your prediction uh, on the ball game? Uh, 27-24 Chiefs. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be. It's uh, going to be just like the Ravens I, game. I said 30, I think. I said 35-34. I said the Chiefs win in, in the last minute drive, but uh, I don't even know how they come up with 34, so whatever. I, I don't know. I, but I do think the Chiefs win. I think it's close. All right, guys, you've been listening to uh, Crunch Time. So happy to have you guys on, and uh, and it's just a lot of fun talking to you guys here. So we'll see about what we're doing next week. But you've been listening to Crunch Time. The official broadcast partner of your AFC West champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Sports Radio 810 WHB.